0: We're gonna try part two here. There he is. What's up, Lee? Hold on a sec here, let's get this going here. We're back. <laughs> My friend. Good good. How are we doing? Welcome back. Welcome back. Doing really well. Doing really well. It's actually my lady's birthday today.
1: Awesome, man. Cool. Happy birthday.
0: Happy f- happy 40th, Leslie. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> right on. So how's it going? I'm sorry about like I mentioned uh, everything got kind of cut out last time, but uh, let's just continue. Where we were going with all this?
1: Yep. Figure out where we were. I kind of totally. we what happened there?
0: But hey, we're just trying this internet thing out. That's what's going on. I had too much. I had too much shit going on. That was the problem. going to work now? Everything is working perfect now. Excellent. Yeah. Last the last the last two interviews we had went flawless. So you are good. So, okay, so let's go back a little bit. Um, we were talking about how you ended up getting picked up by Nuclear Blast at the time. Yeah. And, re- and recording Imperial Doom. Yeah, so that would have been, uh, let's see, we'll just we'll kind of recap a little bit. August
1: 90, we formed. November 90, we did our first show with Massacre. December 90, we did the core infinity demo. January of uh, 91, we ended up sending it out to Roadrunner, Nuclear Blast, blah, 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 all the fanzines. Um, pretty much just still writing. I think January we were writing Final Cremation. That was a song we were working on. Yeah. Um, pretty much from January to June, we finished kind of the, the songs. They weren't on the demo. Ceremonial Boy. Ceremonial was the last song written actually. Um what was the other one? Darkest Dream. And uh I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. It was yeah. a it was a while ago. <laughs> so June we went in and we did the drums and bass of ninety one. And then uh, we took like a month and a half, two months between doing the guitars, vocals, kind of everything else. And then we did like, I think we spent three days mixing it with Jim Morris and Van Earp, uh, the bass player went home. So he wasn't there. So when we brought the tape back, he, he didn't think the bass was loud enough. And there were some small minor things that you know like the toms not being loud enough some things like that so more or less he talked me into you know talking nuclear blast into remixing the album and then uh i don't know it was kind of a funny thing just because we ended up doing three days of mixing in one day Jim Morris kind of got upset because, you know, like he was told that, you know, we were just going to be raising the snare a little bit. And me being a dumb kid, I had this list of changes, like for every song, I had like every little possible thing that I could come up with listed on a piece of paper. So that kind of threw him for a loop. And, you know, we we ended up getting it done, but it was one of those things where when you're in Morris Sound, you got the killer speakers and you're mixing to those speakers I'm coming off the street, you're coming from home or whatever, not used to listening to the, you know, it sounds great and more, I mean, you know, we made it sound perfect in more sound, but when you take that and you put it on different stereos and, you know, listen to it on different things, it's just it's not the same. So that's kind of pretty much what happened. we got, you know, I, I knew within like, you know, five minutes of listening to it on a different stereo that we made a huge mistake. But that was kind of, the, you know, that's one of the trial and errors of being young and not knowing... You know still learning what you're doing as far as big studios and stuff because that was you know i done some demo like the two yeah i did the level demo we did the monstrosity demo but that was a 16 track one inch tape smaller studio you know still you know it wasn't horrible but you know it's more sound was a huge step up and just you know certain life experiences that you know you need from You know, continuously working in a studio, you know, that you would pick up. Uh, It's one of those things where, you know, unfortunately the album suffered. So we were never really happy with Imperial Doom. I know a lot of people, that's their favorite album and this and that. But to me, the guitars are buried, snare drums way too loud. But we were like Blasby happy at the time, you know. We just, you know, we were just crazy about the Blasby hearing that snare jacked up and... So it was like we were loving it in the studio, you know, and, uh, unfortunately, in the, you know, in the overall picture, you know, if the drums are too loud, the guitars are buried, like certain parts, like the drums just completely bury the riff, you know, you can't even hear the riffs. So that was one thing about that album that we were kind of, kind of, you know, unhappy with and, uh, forced to live with, unfortunately. And, uh, So the second album was a lot better when you know six years later whenever it was five four years later um definitely more of a concerted effort to have the guitars heard loud and proud you know you know it's just one of those learning things where like even on dark purity you know kind of like with with millennium uh the guitars were louder but the drums you know they're definitely more natural sounding drums but they weren't quite as
0: powerful whereas on the third album we kind of we were able to get the combination of having the powerful drums and the guitars heard really loud and you know kind of make it a an overall mix that you know we were happy with like the third album was kind of worth you know that was the first production where i was fully happy with it you know. sweet honestly though like i mean pretty much like, like, I mean, you say that Imperial Doom, uh, to you, is not an album that you like to listen to or whatever. But, I mean, just... The
1: songs are great. The songs the are songs. Totally. I spent a lot of work on the songs. I mean, those lyrics, I'm, I'm pretty proud of those lyrics. Because I just, you know, I mean, I would spend, you know, we'd be off of... We, at the time, me and Van Derp, we did this job. We worked for a place called Picture Perfect Painting. And we would take these door flyers around to these rich neighborhoods in Coral Springs and Fort Lauderdale, and we'd, you know, basically trying to, like, solicit estimates on, you know, painting houses and, and pressure washing, that kind of thing. But, you know, as I'm walking through these neighborhoods, I'm worrying about, you know, in my head, I'm thinking about War Infinity and, you know, what I'm going to do for that third line of the chorus or whatever, you know. Right. My head was totally, you know, someplace else. I mean... And it was, I just remember the,
0: the you know, going through those neighborhoods and thinking, you know, we're, we're just totally in a different place <laughs> mentally. <you know. laughs> no, for sure. But especially at that time too, how old were you when you guys were pretty much working on Imperial Doom?
1: Uh, 20, 21.
0: Right. So at that age, man, I mean, when, when, when I first started my band, I mean, playing live for the first time was like the craziest thing ever, right? So... Just to think that at twenty twenty one you're signed a nuclear yeah. blast and it's already steamrolling, so of course your head's like, yeah, we kinda of, we're kinda of getting there. Right. Yeah, it was uh it was kind of the boom of death metal. Pituary was already out. side were just gonna be coming out with their record.
1: Malevolent. You know, that I've been a part of that, getting them signed helping get them signed. You know, it was kind of right there to, to right before when the album came out or it was recorded. Um, so, you know, the, the boom of death metal was hitting for sure at that time. And so, like, it was kind of a whirlwind, you know. Uh, but at the same time, I knew we, you know, we had a lot to prove too, you know. And there were certain things that were going on that we wanted to kind of do differently and, like, kind of combine and, like, make even better, you know. Because, you know, we like thrash metal and all that stuff too, but death metal was kind of the next step and like the next, you know, more intense, more uh, just more of everything, pretty yeah, much. Totally. And uh, just that next level of everything, and uh, more uh, aggressive, more uh, extreme, whatever the term is of the week, you know. All and right.
0: and the thing, the thing with that album too, especially like Monstrosity compared to you know everything else that was coming out you had your blast beats kind of chop up a little bit. It wasn't always just straight blast for, you know, a four bars or whatever. You'd blast for a couple bars, do a roll, blast again with that, do a roll, blast again, like, you didn't just continuously just blast like a lot of bands were doing at that time, too. We wanted to mix it up, and, uh, you know, it was kind of like, like I said, we were friends with cynic and they kind of had like a little more technicality going on
1: which we kind of dug that but we also dug the more brutal stuff too that was going on and uh, kind of combining that so it was like a mixture of those two elements basically you know we, the the analogy is steak and cheese you know you um, <laughs> can't have one without the other so we would have kind of like the more easy parts basic parts that your average guy that's not a musician to get into and then you'd have your kind of your steak, which is your crazy, you know, more technical parts that the musicians could fall in with. you know. Yeah. So that was all
0: kind of the, the formula was the steak and cheese and combining that, you know. Yeah, totally. No, totally. So you did one album for Nuclear Blast and then what happened after that?
1: Well, we went to Europe. Um, basically, the two guys at Nuclear Blast, the main guy's named Marcus Steiger he's, he's the owner president. And the number two guy was a guy named Michael Tringer. And he was kind of our point guy. He was the guy that we dealt with the most. And it was kind of one of those things too, I'm sure it was like, you know, you tell Madden and, and then, you know, like good, good cop, bad cop type thing, you know, where they could throw it off on each other, but you know, whatever they were, they were both pretty cool at the time and everything went good. Um, Michael was a cool dude. He ended up, Playing a part in later in our career with Metal Blade and all that. That's why I bring him up. Unfortunately, he passed away now, so he's not around. But, uh, he was a big, you know, a big supporter of the band. He really believed in us probably more than Marcus Steiger did even. And, uh, you know, he, he was the guy we were talking to, you know, and he, he got us the tour with Pestilence that we did in 92. We did a European tour, kind of briefly talked about that last week, yeah. um, which was big for us. But, you know, it, it, it's always one of those things
2: where when you do these tours, you think, oh, you know, it's going to blow up now. You know, this is going to be our, you know, people are going to see it. It's going to lead all these tours and more
1: tours and all this stuff. And in America, things hadn't really picked up yet. It was just kind of the album had come out, but, but there had been no touring. We actually did no real, no real touring for Imperial Doom uh, in America. So we just did
2: that European tour. And that was kind of it, you know, pretty much. And... Uh, Long story longer, we spent 14 grand on the album, spent 14 grand on the
1: tour and we sold like around 36,000 copies is what they were telling us, you know, and the more or less the roundabout deal was a dollar an album kind of give or take, you know, was kind of what we were supposed to get. So in our mind, we were due, you know, we had satisfied recouping our advances as far as the album and the touring. Well, Nuclear Blast didn't agree with that. They felt that, you know, they were trying to say that we owed them money. Blah blah blah. And uh, you know, by going by their own accounting, we did we didn't agree with it. You know, I mean it wasn't even a case that we thought they were, you know, uh not the numbers or anything. It was just a case of going off of their Uh, royalty statements and stuff. We felt that we were owed money. And that didn't even get into the whole publishing thing where where publishing ends up being like a separate thing. Yeah. You know. But uh, publishing is kind of where we got hung up. Long story longer, we ended up, you know, breaking off with nuclear blast. And in my mind, you know, yeah, you know, we can, oh, we'll go to Century Media, or oh, we'll go, you know, we'll call Earache, or we'll call, you know, somebody, you know, another, there's other labels out there, you know. What I didn't realize at the time is that they're thick as thieves, and they're, you know, they're not going to like just jump out and steal another band's, another label's band. And they're, you know what I mean? It's yep. not that easy, you totally. know. And, and then also at the same time, the 95, 96 era, Death metal had kind of fallen as far as pop, like the whole uh, trend, so to speak, kind of fell out. Yep. And uh, it wasn't as big as, as it once was. And actually, Borvoy, the guy at Black um he, I had dealt with him with, with Roadrunner. You know, when we were trying to get originally signed, you know, before the demo. And by the time 95 rolled around, he was working for Century Media. So I was like talking to him and sending him the, the demo. Like we ended up doing the Slaves and Masters demo in 94. With the idea that we'll send, you know, that, that'll that be new material for these labels to sign us from. It won't be just the album that they've heard. You know, they can hear where we're actually trying to go from, you know, where we're headed next. Yeah. And so I was talking to Warboy from uh, Blabbermouth, who... Like I said, he was at Century Media at the time, and he said, it doesn't matter, you know, you you can have the best death metal band in the world, you can have the best musicians, you can have the best songs, you can have the best whatever, but right now, labels are not signing death metal, because that's just not what's selling, you know, it's, so, he, so it's like, you know, you can do blast beats till you're blue in the face, and you can do this and that, you know, and, and sure, it's kind of kept going anyway, you know, obviously we didn't listen, and Times move on and whatever you know, new styles of music come and go and this and that. But uh, so whatever, whatever, we didn't get signed to Century Media and we talked with Pavement Records for a minute and their deal was just way too low for us. You know, it just didn't make sense. You know, we could have, especially after you know the the relapse thing with where they they didn't do any advertising for Nuclear Blast America and at least for us, no interviews, nothing. You know, so it was like. For us, it was just, <sighs> right. just made sense kind of, you know, that's kind of how I came up with the idea of doing conquest music. Eventually it just made more sense, especially in America, you know, in Europe it's harder to do, you know, I can't be over there to, to, yep. to do all the promotion and all that stuff. So it just made sense, especially in America to do conquest music. And that's how I started my label. And so we did the second record under conquest. That was the first one. And then, uh, sign invader for their second album deeper Profundus. we released that album under conquest music and part of the deal under that was with this label called system shock and part of the deal was uh they had another band called dark side who were an austrian band and uh, cool guys but they were unknown you know and it, it was kind of like a part of the deal Vader. Is you take dark side and so i released those three albums millennium deeper fundus from Bayer and dark side in America. And then kind of by the time, like at first it really didn't work out that way, but eventually in the end it we worked work things out with nuclear blast as far as the royalties and all the BS about Imperial doom to where like, okay, well, they were going to take the second album millennium for Europe. And then I would keep it in America and that's pretty much what happened. Unfortunately,
2: you know, and I don't know I won't say it's on purpose or whatever, but the long and short of it was that basically they put the album out and just sat on it, you know, enough that they didn't really promote it. They kinda of moved on to whatever they were doing with their label and they put it out just, you know, just I, I don't know, I won't say they I won't say they
1: heard, you know, purposely hurt us, but uh, let's just say they didn't do me a huge favor, you know. Yep. So that's the, so the second album came out to them and then, uh, we did a, our first year U S tour after that with uh tiny fetus and cataclysm, uh, cataclysm headline. We were in the middle of dying fetus. That was their first tour. And so it was cool. We went out to California back went to Texas.
2: And, uh, that was just, you know, my red and white van, the same van that I had, you know, when I was 18, uh, we, we toured in that. We built a little bunk in the back where we had all the
1: equipment underneath and we could kind of lay out and stretch on top. Sweet. <laughs> um, and then after that, too long after that, uh, we, we did a tour with Broken Hope Invader and, and that was a big tour. It was like 30 shows in America. Wow. And a little more high profile tour, um. And that was a case of, you know, we paid for Vader to come over with plane tickets and uh, invested in merchandise and all that kind of thing for them. And uh, so it was very expensive undertaking at the time. But uh, it was uh, what was going on. And then so we did those two U.S. stores. Because kind of, it's funny, because, you know, in the Peril Doom, you know, Europe was more of the bigger deal. And then on the second album, U.S. was kind of a bigger deal. And then... Uh, Kind of like at the end of the tour, you know, touring cycle or whatever the album cycle I guess you'd say, um, we finally got to Europe for Millennium, the second album. Pretty much we had already recorded the drums and bass or drums and guitars for the third album when we went over to Europe to tour for the second album. (laughs) So it's kind of that kind of happened a few times actually, where it's like the timing is just
0: never there. You know, it's not like like bigger bands or whatever that would be like. You know, the album comes out, you're immediately on tour, you go to Europe, you know, it's one of those things. Totally. Totally. <laughs> so, um, so you didn't get discouraged, obviously, after Nuclear Blast and stuff, and then the second album, you just, you, you it know, like, yeah, it's all good. I gotta get a beer. <laughs> timing so you obviously didn't get discouraged throughout the second and third album and like you said you ended up going out on tour with Broken Hope and Vader did that that kind of like just keep the momentum going and you guys pumped again well I'm pretty
1: much a lifer anyway you know what I mean
0: Especially having an album out on Nuclear Blast, I mean, right after that, you would guaranteed just be pumped regardless, because you know you're on one of the big metal labels back in the day, and the fact that you had an album shouldn't slow you down regardless, right? You know, at the same time, the we weren't totally happy with the album, so we we had more stuff to prove, you know. We we, we weren't like 100% happy with that stuff, you know, the first album. So we, right. with the second and third album, we you know, we had more proof. And so it was a case of wanting to get that, you know, get something we could really be proud of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did so did you end up writing most of the material on the second and third album? Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, sir it's like 50-50. It's me and you, like... Like I was explaining last week, it's kind of me and
1: the guitar player, whoever that happens to be, ends <laughs> up um, with like on Imperial Doom. Like I was telling you how we I was plucking riffs from my submission demo, my, my one man thrash band, like a lot of, you know, Burden of Evil, Those a lot of those riffs are from that. immense uh, Malignancy, that whole front half is from my submission demo. So then with uh, Millennium, song like Storm Winds, that was something that I did on my own. Pretty much just, you know, except for like one rip, it's all mine. Uh, Seeds of Change, that was me and John Rubin. But uh, I know, let's think, uh, even Fatal Millennium, where uh, that was Jason Morgan, the guy we got from Tennessee. He wrote about, like he was a, you know, he, when he joined the band, he he, he he upped the technical game big time, you know. Right on. He, he could play, you know, circles around pretty much anybody in the whole scene. So, I kind of, you know, we kind of capitalized on that a little, you know, and, and went more a little, that's why Millennium's a little more technical. We just kind of went that direction. We still had a lot of the cheese, but we're doing a lot more steak on that album, you know. And, uh, but even that, even that like Fatal Millennium, that song, like the whole chorus, that's my riffs in the middle section, some of that's, those are my riffs. Dream Messiah, those are things that, like I, I would sing him the riff, you know? Right. Just like that, you know, and then he would go, okay, and then he'd play it, so. Kind of like that even the third album with Jay you know that I wrote with Jay Fernandez and Jason Avery you know it was like a case where I had like perpetual war where I would sing him the riff, you know, alright dan and dun and dun and and dun and he would play the riff and you know. So who so who wrote the riff, you know what I mean? Did I write the riff? Did he write the riff? You know right. he was the one who actually played the riff, but uh, you yeah, know, whatever, who cares? Totally.
0: Um but that's kind of how how it goes usually like you know, because I, I was doing four-track demos and stuff like that, and we even have like a, one of those eight-track cassette uh, demo recorder type of things, you know, so we were doing, I could do my own demos without. I didn't need anybody necessarily, you know, so I was, I would come in with like, you know, pretty much, I would say complete songs, but like three-quarters at least, you know, of a, of a song, and then, Usually me and the guitar player would finish that out. Sometimes they would have songs and we'd shape them and, you know, work them out. Totally, totally. So, usually, it usually wasn't a case of just somebody would bring in a finished song and that was it. It was more, It was usually a compilation of me and the guitar player, whoever it was. Right, but you kind of maintained uh, the sole proprietorship yeah. to the band itself, Right.
1: I write the lyrics, all the lyrics in the early days, and then uh, kind of oversee everything and, you know, like you said, make it happen or yep.
2: whatever. Totally. So there's kind of, that's why there's always this, you know, kind of a continuity with all of our albums. You know, the stamp is still there, even oh, after yeah. all these years. Even though the members have come and gone, you know, several times over, uh, it's still the same thing, you know. Plus, I keep the tuning the same. We don't, like, go. You know a lot of most bands you know they went like I don't know what many bands but they went from tuning to you
1: know D standard and then they went next thing there at C and you know whatever they keep going down 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 you know and, and whereas that kind of changes the sound of the band whereas like I've always kept it at D standard you know and that kind of still it's still low but it's not too low and it's you know it's not high you know it's not e-standard either Yeah.
0: Um, no, totally and throughout a lot of your albums too you've always made it a point to have the guitar riffs almost play with the drums itself
1: there's a lot of that. that's kind of like even with the songs that I wrote with Malevolent, and you can kind of hear that like the do it do it do it do it do it do it do it, do it you know all that kind of
2: yeah
1: <laughs> riding you know the opening triplets and stuff like that. the
0: Yep, and, and the double kick just keeps up with it too, right? Every time, right? So that's kind of one of my signatures, you know, the you know riff writing. Yeah, so. well, it's because you are a drummer and a guitarist, so you you obviously just think about how how fun it would be to play, you know, drums, and then on top of that, how does that fit with the guitars and and yada yada? And it's pretty cool though, because yeah, and. Throughout all the albums, you've maintained that it's not the same, but you can tell that oh, that's that's monstrosity. That's definitely a monstrosity riff right there, or whatever. And then I noticed on um, uh, spiritual, um, yeah, spiritual apocalypse, uh, like like songs like remnants of divination and stuff like that. Like <laughs> there is groove beyond like. <laughs> It's unbelievable. that like I, I gotta say that album I think kills your whole discography I, I love that album man there is so much groove and it just seems to blend perfectly the guitars with the drums and everything I don't know that's one of my favorite albums I gotta say that's the <laughs> well,
1: um, well to go through that with the third album well we'll say with the second album we had Jason Morgan who go up the level of technicality. With the third album we wrote with jake fernandez from brutality and he kind of brought in that melodicism of like suffering to the conquer where it's very melodic and and so we that kind of stepped it you know so we've stepped up each album you know in kind of more of that direction you know the guitar playing getting better you know and really pushing that so with like the song angels venom became kind of like it, it was based off you know We all, even though it's Jay Fernandez's riff, you know, me and Avery and Fernandez all sat in here and and arranged that together. Okay, yeah, we're going to do it super slow here. Here we're going to beef, we're going to throw the double bass in, that'll be the chorus. And so it became more of a song structure and keeping that groove, like where it's one riff kind of played out more instead of just going riff, 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 kind of building on a theme and doing that. So Remnants is
2: kind of based
1: off that Angel's Venom thing where, you know, we're focusing on a, a theme instead of just taking a bunch of riffs and throwing them together and, and jumbling them. You know, it's more focusing on songwriting as as an art itself. And that was Mark English uh, who wrote that one. Um, me and Mark, I helped him on some of it, but those are mostly his, those were his riffs. And uh, it was kind of, you know, inspired, by Angel's Venom and that thinking, that mentality of, of focusing on a theme and, and, a, and a, kind of not trying to be super crazy but keep it in like, kind of like a mid pace groove, like you said, you know. Yeah. And, uh, to some people, to like the people that aren't really death metal people, that's that's their favorite song, you know, because it's just, it's kind of like a, it's like a gateway to what, what we do. And it has that theme where they, you know, it's a... It's, uh, melodic and and heavy too oh my gosh
0: it just fucking digs it digs hard man as soon as you start that wow man that whole thing just keeps going and then for what four minutes five five minutes the song is or whatever it just doesn't let up and you throw in the melodic parts but it's not too melodic And it rings out, and like, wow, man, I gotta say, like, that song, when I first heard that song, I must have played it at least 15, 20 times that day I heard it. And, because I was just like, wow, a slow song that finally just, like, encompasses what I want to hear in a death metal song with, you know, I'm, I'm not huge on melodic parts and all that, I'm not big on mellow death and all that kind of stuff but when you throw it in there once in a while just to give it that ring and that like that epic parts like wow like, that is, that was, that's great man like uh, that whole album just front to back is fantastic right on uh, so why did it take you guys so long in between albums i
1: guess um our average is usually four years yeah and The reason why is because we're pretty much for the first two years you know for the you know it takes you know put everything into making an album so like for like the six months to a year after the album or or even the two years you know we're touring and we're just coming off making it you know after putting so much work into it it's like actually take a breath you know Um, so the, the two years after recording the album you know we're worried about promoting it we're worried about getting it out there touring off and doing all that, so we're not exactly thinking about the next record, you know, of course. Like then. Usually the third year is about when we're starting to work on, like, really writing the songs, and then the fourth year is actually recording the next album. It's kind of how it's been, work, you know, kind of how it works out. Yeah, yeah. Because it's never an easy thing, you know, I mean, because we don't, we don't have, it's not like, even though we have some huge labels behind us, they're not exactly like you know, they're not helping in that department, you know, it's not like, you know, so there's a lot of stuff that we have to do on our own. And it just, because of our limited, you know, finances or whatever, it just takes a little bit longer than, uh, other bands. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of the, the usual has been four years from like the, on the first, you know, four or five album. And then this last album, it took us 11 years. And, uh, it's weird because you know, with even with the other albums, there was lineup changes and stuff like that that kind of came into play. So we were still able to get it to the four years, but we were the same lineup pretty much, and it took us eleven years. So I don't know. Uh, same thing where we toured off Spiritual Apocalypse for a number of years and, and did all that. And I would say you know, twenty eleven. You know, I just we made a conscious effort to take the band off the road, not just keep touring and touring and touring. And then, uh, we wrote, me and Mark wrote a majority of the material, uh, here in the band room. And then we kind of, you know, we would do demos of it and just time went on. I don't know. I don't really even know, you know, and it was about 2015, 2016 maybe we did the drums and then, uh, we had already recorded the guitars, but it, like he went back and redid all the guitars, so that took another whole, you know, length of time. Then we had the issue with, you know, it. Joni come over and do the bass. We were doing, uh, we basically did two songs a week for like a month or two or however long it was. and really just focused on, you know, kind of making the bass parts something different than just following the unison guitar riffs, you know, that was that's kind of in the past the bass players always seem to complain about not being heard and the reason why that happens is because if you're just following the guitar riffs if you just turn that up all you're doing is adding low end frequency to the same thing that you already have yeah so it creates mud and now you got it takes away from the chainsaw of the guitar you know to, to me and that's that's the explanation for why the bass wasn't as prominent on some of the early album. Um, so with this, you know, it was a technique that Jim Morris taught us from Morris Sound, you know, where he was like, you know, you can't, you gotta write different bass parts, you know, instead of just keeping them, the melody, the same as what the guitar is doing. So that was kind of our focus with this album was, you know, to, to really make the bass stand out a little more and doing different things. Than just, you know, following the drums more and almost having a separate riff going on. Like uh, if you, if you ever heard the, you know, I'm sure you know, Death Human. Yep.
2: If you ever heard the bass and drum tracks to that. Just on their own? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you listen to, if you, if you buy the, like the expanded
1: edition or whatever they released a number of years ago, there's some bonus tracks, you can find them on YouTube, okay. but it's like a couple of songs off that album where it's just Sean Ryder and Steve DiGiorgio with no other, you know, no Chuck, no guitars, no nothing, no vocals. And it's like a whole, it's like those songs are like totally different songs. You know what I mean? And so we to kind of wanted to capture that vibe to where it's like a whole different, it's like a whole, it's like going underwater and seeing a whole different sea underneath, you know? Yeah. And uh, we kind of wanted to focus more on that and bring bring the bass tracks alive where you could actually turn them up and hear them. And uh, so that was kind of one of the main priorities with this this last album. Right. So then we got into the whole artwork thing. That turned into a fiasco because you know our
2: singers and artists, but at the same time, you know, uh, we kind of wanted. We did. I came up with the concept of like um, the idea was that it was the devil blowing dust, uh, you know, out of his hand. And the dust becomes planets and it's kind of going towards a wormhole. That's kind of, a, that was like the original concept. Cool. And uh, so Mike did a version of that. And then we were going to get somebody to hand paint it, you know, like a secret type guy. And in the meantime, we had this guy, Zibbigniew. Wow, what's his last name? I can't remember. Bilek. Yeah, Sabinski Bilek. He's the guy that does the ghost, the bent ghost. He's done like an entombed cover, I think, he's done some paradise lost cover artwork. And if you see like even the
1: wetain, like the, the hand, kind of like the black and white, kind of, that's kind of his style or whatever. And he approached me about doing the artwork, you know, and I gave him, I gave him my idea. I gave him what Mike did as far as the sketch um and he was gonna do it and it just never got done i won't i won't get too hard on him but basically it just took forever and we you know we never got it was like we're, we're basically waiting everything's done except for this hard work you know uh but uh it just never came and in the meantime i'm working with pete sandoval and terrorizer we're rehearsing um and some guy setting like he had, he had a deal with some indonesian guy about doing some t-shirts or whatever it was just a small little thing he did like 30 shirts or something but he came up with some cool original artwork for this t-shirt You know? and i was like and this is for terrorizer we're talking about you know and so like he's like oh man we could use this for the album cover this is good you know and so that's what we ended up doing yeah i think he beefed it up a little more but it's more or less the the terrorizer album that we just put out that was like the t-shirt design that i'm talking about he okay. was like oh man this guy's good you know and then pete suggested dude you know because i was telling pete about my problems with this other guy with Maj atrocity cover you know i was like we're sitting here stuck at limbo because of the stupid artwork you know what i mean i don't know you know i don't have a dan seabrave on every hand here where i could just reach out to him, you know what I mean? Because so we want to, you know, we, the artwork's a very important thing, you know, it's not something you just want to skimp on, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And uh, so anyway, Pete suggested using his name Timble, uh, and he's like, you know, hey, give him, you know, give him your idea, and let's, you know, at least see what he can do, you know, so we did, I did that. And th- like three days later, he came back with the you know is the album cover for the past <laughs> existence. You know, the guys a kid. you know. And I know he didn't have it. It's not like he had that sitting in his back pocket for two years and yeah, just yeah. pulled it out. My idea, I know. You know what I mean? It's like wow. The, guy, the guy's talented. He just bam, 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 came up with it like that. So you know, I was blown away. So I actually had him do a bunch of t-shirt design. I got some. I got t-shirt designs in the can right now. You know that we haven't put out yet. Sweet. Uh, so, just because he guy's so good and he's quick and it's like the stuff we're happy with and the uh, guy's killer. So we, we dodged a big bullet on that one And uh, then, then it kind of all came together with Metal Blade and working the whole deal with them. Uh, we, had, we had a three album deal with the guy, Michael Trigger, and I was talking about that was with Nuclear Blast originally. In the, in the meantime, had moved on to Metal Blade Europe Um, and we did rise to power with metal blade like basically the same deal where it was conquest in America metal blade in Europe and uh, I was dealing with Michael Trigger for the Europe part of it and then I don't know 40 years later whatever it was we did spiritual apocalypse and all that and we had basically metal blade had one more option and because it had taken us so long 11 years Michael Trigger had died in the meantime, which was a bummer. And so when we went to metal, Blade, we're done, we're ready for it. <laughs> it was like, oh, we didn't even know we had a deal. We never, we about, you know? were like, so we had to go, you know, when we said, well, you know, we're giving you, then they heard the album and they were like, you know, they were meeting. They were like, Yeah, we want this. So it all worked out. And uh, it was just one of those things where it took more time, you know, so, that was that was kind of it all kind of snowballed, you know, into taking so long. That's that's the eleven year, yeah, yeah, uh, discrepancy, you know.
0: Because you guys released the first sing, sing single uh, way before the album was even coming out or whatever for like quite a while.
1: Well, uh, that would have been yeah June. I think with they, what they did is they did three singles a week. There were three singles, one every week. And that was in, like, towards the end of June. And then the album came out in September. So it was, like, three months in advance, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just one of those things, you know, like, where you're just dying for people to hear this stuff. And, you know, they're out there complaining, oh, where is this album? It's been, you know, forever. What's going on?
2: uh, Meanwhile, you know, it's like I want to just put it out there so you can hear it, but, you know, I got to hold it
1: because I want it to, you know, you want everything to time right. You know, you you don't want to put it out too early. You don't want to put it out too late. You know, you want to give yourself time to promote everything.
2: And uh, luckily, you know, everything seems like the fans were really happy once it came. It was kind of like
1: almost a surprise, you know, it came out of nowhere. It was. It really was was because...
0: Yeah, cause I ended up, uh, I ended up seeing if like one person post it, and literally I jumped on it. I'm like, okay, what else is going on here? Like, what's happening? Monstrosity's throwing singles out now. What's? It's been a while. What's up? What's up? And the buzz just like it just is well, steamrolled. And the production, we were real happy with it. So it was like, you know, it's nice when you can, you know, have something proud, you know, kind of, you know, slam everybody with, you know, out of the blue. Where did you end up recording that? Uh, we did that in Sanford, Florida with a
1: guy named Jason Sukov, who was an old friend of ours. He, uh, I met him. He was still a kid when I met him. I, mean, I met him on that Broken Hook Vader tour in 97. We played in a place called the LNG in New London, Connecticut. And he was there. And we ended up talking with him like before the show. And that's where I met him. Yeah, I'd see him around, I don't know where, you know, maybe online or whatever, but I'd see him here and there. But I, I saw their Brass mud show, I think, and he he, he did a project called Caffronome with my bass player, and the Trivium singer sang on it. Oh. And it was cool. It's kind of, check it out if you ever get a chance, it's Caffronome. And, and it's kind of like suffocation
2: riffs, you know, real crazy. A lot of craziness going on. And it just had
1: a good production, you know, and he says, hey, man, I'm doing that in my backyard, you know, blah, blah, blah. And in the meantime, even, you know, like he had like Tom Morris from Morris Sound, like come over and like help him with these acoustics in the studio. And, uh, he, you know, got some help from them as far as getting set up big time. And he did the Trivium album, which was kind of his claim to fame, I guess, for, you know, basically Roadrunner, and then all of a sudden Roadrunner was sending him all this work of these new wow. metal bands, and he kind of became the new metal producer, Wow. doing a lot of, a lot of those kind of bands. I don't even know the names of the bands. I didn't keep up. But, yep. <laughs> um, he got a lot of work from it. His studio just kind of got better and better and better. He was doing Cannibal. He was doing Inside. Uh, and it, you know, it's definitely comparable to what Morrisound was doing and um, we did our rise to power album with him and that was um we were still kind of in the guinea pig status with him at that point he was before he kind of took off so rise to power was a good one but it could have been better you know it was one of those things where he was still kind of learning his craft a little bit on that one but uh in spiritual apocalypse more sound was you know it's it's like 20 minutes down the road for me you know what i mean where it's going over to Orlando and Sanford area, it's, you know, it's a little bit of a drive and it just made more sense to do spiritual at more sound, even though it was, um, I don't know. And basically, so after that, more sound closed down, you know, so we knew we were going to have to figure something out, else out anyway. And it just happened to work out that like, I mean, the productions he was doing over there were just totally, you know, it just have a, a hugeness to the production you know that we like and it was kind of a different way of uh, doing the drum like we spent a week on just the drums and like most of that was just getting the tones we spent like four days getting tones changing heads uh-huh. listening to that you know playing a, recording a song with these symbols and then switching them out and moving the symbols and then recording some more and then you just sit there and listen back and forth between the two and just you know figure out which is the better sound and okay, now we're gonna do it again but we're gonna use these tones instead of these other Yamahas, we're gonna use these tones. And just going through and like maybe back and forth and tuning and I mean it was like oh, way more than, wow. like normally normally at more sound we go in we spend six hours getting the tones and then we're off to track one, you know Man. and, and the drums are done within two days, three days, you know, that's kind of normally how it goes. Whereas this time, we, you know, we spent a week just on the drums. And like I said, most of that was just, ta- you know, getting the sounds and the tones. So that was a whole other, uh, it was very tedious. But at the same time, it was kind of lax too. It was like the way you worked, we worked the deal. It was like, you know, we weren't totally, like wasn't we like we were on the clock. And oh my God, we got we got so much time to do this. And you have to do it within this time. Or you're, you know that's it, you know? Uh, so it was a case of, you know, it was a little more relaxed, even though it was tedious and kind of like, uh, you know, I won't say boring, but whatever. It was just a lot of, a lot more tedium going on, but at the same time, uh, you know, the end result speaks for itself.
0: Oh, it really does. It really does. So how, so how, how has Metal Blade been with you through this whole process though? Um,
1: Involved with you know talking about that too much, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, um, basically, the issue was that you know, the, the year they're more focused on the downloads and the vinyls now, you know what I mean? Whereas uh, people were having problems getting product in America, so that was the issue, all right, and gotcha, finish it up, um. So it was monstrosity. Yeah, I mean, we, we worked the we worked deal where we reissued Rise to Power and Spiritual. They ended up doing vinyl editions, and really, they did a good job on that. You know, especially the, the European portion of it. You know, they really like uh,
0: they put posters and did all this kind of stuff. And, you know, splattered vinyls and different, all these different editions and stuff. So, you know, uh, the fans definitely should be happy. Right. So, are you going to be
1: touring at all after well, all this, I guess? We did the, well, we did the one tour of, uh, of Europe in May of last year, and the idea was that, you know, okay, you know, basically, it, it was, you know, the tour didn't get announced until like a month and a half before we went over there, so it was kind of, you know, it wasn't as promoted as good as it could be, uh... And, um, the idea was that we were going to come, you know, come back with a bigger, uh, a more prestigious lineup of a tour, you know, with the the bigger, you know, kind of more of a package, let's say. And, uh, unfortunately now with the, you know, that, that was supposed to happen in October. And now with this virus thing, the Terrorizer tour got pushed back from April. So now that tour is supposedly in October which was when that monstrosity tour was going to take place and that pushed the monstrosity tour back. So I'm thinking at this point, I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, try to get the next album written. Yeah. But hopefully, you know, I, I don't want to say what's happened. That's what my goal is, you know, sure. but I no promises as, a, as things always take longer than what we, yeah. Exactly. Of course, of course, but that's all you can do, right? <laughs> yeah. We got a lot of material already, and we're not gonna, you know. It's funny because people actually complained that the album was too long. You know, they were like, "Oh, fifty something minutes it's too long." And I didn't even think about it. You know, it's uh, what it, how that happened is because you know, like even the third album, Dark Purity, that's that album's like fifty three minutes. Rise to Power was like, you know, fifty something minutes with actual music. There's like a whole ending thing. Right. Uh, spiritual Apocalypse, same thing, it's 50 minutes, you know, it was just because CDs came along and you could stretch out, you know, longer than a vinyl album. Yeah. So bands started doing albums that were longer, you know, and that we kind of uh, just, you know, under that premise, you know, we, I just, you know, we had, you know, made an album 50 minutes long, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, so the next album won't we'll make it quite as long because, you know, we'll make it a little more punchy and a little more direct. Uh, and, you know, another thing was, I was thinking, you know, it's been 11 years, let's give these guys something, you know, a little bit extra for the, you know, the long wait. Exactly. And, uh, so with this album, we're going to put it out a little quicker, and it'll, it'll be a little more direct, probably 36 minutes, somewhere around there, what the, the goal is. Oh, wow. We've already got like, uh,
0: i got five or six songs we're working on, Mark has a song. Plus, I have rest for days. I mean, right. days. days. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Uh, let's get off the monstrosity track. How did you get involved with
1: Sandoval and all that? Um, well, I knew him back. I met him in '88, actually, at a Morbid Angel show. And
2: I'm just going to grab a beer.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. I would see him around at uh, various uh, shows, and uh, we would we would you know we hang out actually. We. those things, any, pretty much any show that was going on, he'd be there, so I've known him forever, um, uh, let's see, around 99, 2000 era, I didn't see him as much through those years, like 2004, to even like 2013, like from about 2000 to 2013, I didn't see him too much, just because he was doing his thing, and I was doing my thing, It's it's just unbe- like, Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah it's a, just a fun album to play. Yeah. So anyway, uh, 2013, I was like, hey man, so you know, I want to come over and jam, you know. So I um, I brought my amp over and uh, we went through, you know, a bunch of those terrorizer songs, you know, and went really good. And then it just kind of, oh, what are you doing next week? You know, do it again? And, oh yeah, sure. So. Um, and then it just, you know, it became obvious, you know, it was like, oh man, this is going good. And he still had his lineup out of California. He had, he was basically the singer from the second album yep. and he had brought in his wife to play guitar and his wife was on the third album, for of Zombies. She
2: actually plays guitar on that. So it was the, the singer from the second album with his wife and Pete with a lineup a terrorizer for that third
1: album. And uh so he was still like he was you know, he was telling me that he was gonna have to go back out to LA and they were gonna do some, you know, uh jamming or whatever out there. And in the meantime we were channeling and uh I ended up burning salmon from Sam had been in Monstrosity before, so that's where I knew him. And, uh, it just, we started with like a backyard party. So we, we started in June of 2013 in like September of that year, we did our first little backyard party show kind of thing. It was like a free event and, uh, it was just something fun to do. And then right after that, well, we, and at the time we weren't even calling it a terrorizer. It was Sandoval, Harrison, Molina is what we were calling it. And basically he just wasn't talking to the, the people in california anymore like they weren't calling they weren't talking there's nothing happening and he's got me you know 15 minutes down the road from him you know sam lives like you know an hour and a half away so we're jamming every week he's got a band that's right there in florida and we got approached by a guy named gutter um from he's from jersey and he was doing jersey death fest and so he booked us to do that show and you know, they were pushing us to, you know, they wanted to put the terrorizer logo on the t-shirts, you know, so they were pushing for the Terrorizer. <laughs> Come on, man, let's call it terrorizer. Man. Come on. You know? And I think Pete just finally gave in and he He's like, yeah, all right, let's do it. You know, because he just didn't see, I don't think he really saw a future with the California crew because they just, you know, they're so far away right. and he's got this going right here and it's going good. It just made more sense. So uh, so we changed that's when he came out, and we, you know, we changed it from the Sandoval Harrison Molina, we changed it to the terrorizer. And then uh, right not too long after that, we ended up uh, talking with the Mormon an Angel manager, Dr. Ford, who Pete had dealt with obviously through, you know for years and years and years with Mormon Angel about doing something for us so he he did and basically we ended up doing a bunch of festival shows in Europe and uh, he's been our manager ever since so uh, that's been one of the cool things uh, actually having some management doing that and he's actually taking over management for Monstrosity now too in the meantime just because we worked together really good <laughs> perfect so well, yeah it kind of worked out for Monstrosity too you know and uh we did the Caustic Attack album we, we actually did a four song demo first with Terrorizer and uh but we didn't release it I, I did like a uh so it was like a playthrough video, like okay. it's like a playthrough demo. I have a video, it's a video of like four chords, you know, of like of each of us doing our parts of the demo live, you know, and that was the demo, and it's produced pretty good, you know. But uh, it was just a case that we just never released it, and then uh, then we got to deal with it was called the End Records. Okay. we didn't End. Yep. And. Uh, So we ended up recording a pre production,
2: did all the songs on that one. Um and we spent a lot you know, I have to hand it to Pete, man, he really stepped up and uh you know, we did it the old school way,
1: we got in the garage and really, you know, shedded it out and like just totally wood shedded everything. Instead of, you know, like a lot of bands these days, you know, they just do it over the internet and they come up with whatever, and that's that's the album that kind of just, you know, go through the motions, you could say. But, you know, with uh, Pete was really a good sport about, you know, because I have my visions, you know what I mean? You know, I, I kind of wanted to take, you know, this, this second terrorizer and the third terror album, terrorizer album. Both have, like, a lot of triggered drums, and Pete's kind of became more known for the trigger drum sound, you know, and with Caustic Attack, I kind of wanted to take it back to that world downfall, more of natural sounding drums Yeah. and the old tuning of the guitars and just that older kind of, you know, so I had my vision of, a, you know, as a, as a fan myself, you know what I yep.
2: mean? Of what I wanted and what kind of selfish on my end, but whatever I wanted, to, no. you know, kind of bring
1: it back to what it, what it, what I thought it should be, you know, And because, you know, they down tune, the guitar so low on the second and third album. I mean, there's some good songs, but it's just not the terrorizer that I like. Yeah, totally. World downfall kind of thing. So I kind of wanted, with Caustic Attack, I wanted to kind of go back and capture that, but maybe, you know, kind of create a good balance with that old world downfall and kind of bring in the modern too, you know, where it's just tighter and faster. You know, because Pete's, you know... I got him on playing with the click track, you know, and it's just like, uh, it just tightened his playing up big time, you know, it's like, it really, you know, cause he's got something to follow. And it's like, you know, I can definitely say that these are some of the fastest drum tracks ever, you know, on Caustic Attack, just because we got, you know, we can see the speed limit, you know, we can yeah. see the BPM, you know, um, he's doing triplets at one fifty-five, you know, you know, it's like, just, yeah. 230 is kind of his average speed, you know, like on the album, you know, it's kind of where where he sits comfortably, you know what I mean? That's like this. right? Yeah, that's that's like pretty, you know. When you're talking about one foot blast beats, you know,
2: at 230, I mean, it's yeah, like, you know, I'm just, there's kids out there can go 260, 280, and the the whole, you know, sure, uh, whatever. But you're
0: yeah. but but you're doing the like 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 the, the cheat double bass glass, though, right?
1: Right, right? Whatever, you know. I mean, there's guys, you know, the, the Nile guy can do it at 260, 280, whatever. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Derek Roddy's of the world, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Uh, that's that's you know that's getting in the in the band room and just sitting there with a pad, practice pad, and just totally nerving out on it to speed, you know what I mean? To get yeah. it, whereas you know uh, we're trying to like, you know, keep it organic and make it, mu- it's still music, you know what I mean? And songs and, you know.
0: So you got Pete excited again, is what you're saying?
1: Yeah, definitely. He, he definitely stepped up the plane and like, you know, I kind of, you know, I was telling him what i was doing with the monstrosity with going over to that studio in Sanford and get, you know, tell him, you know, how we're getting real, you know, these are real drum sounds, this ain't just samples that were, you know, uh,
0: yeah you're not you're, you're, you're not pro-tooling the sounds right um I mean it's still you know recorded digitally because that's just what happens this, yep. this day and age you know what I mean but uh it's definitely going the extra mile to make it more natural sounding you know and keeping it, keep it not so clicky and digital like trickery or whatever yep know? because grindcore yeah. is not supposed to be triggery and clickety no, exactly and uh so I was, you know, I was kind of telling him, you know, where, where
1: I was coming from on that and uh, basically talked him into, you know, checking out the studio over there because he will you know, originally we were just going to go to Punchy's studio and uh, kind of just bang it out. But I talked him into going over there to Sanford and, and uh, checking the studio out and seeing what was going on over there. So we drove over there and he checked it out. And, he worked with me, like I said, you know, he, he got on board with what I was trying to get him to do, and it worked out, That's you know, mean. I'm really happy, so both the, the Monstrosity and the Terrorizer I'm proud, you know, those are my, the pinnacle of my work as far as I'm concerned right now, you know, both I of know. them, you know, because the Terrorizer showcases my guitar riffs, you know, those are all my riffs, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, the production is just astounding, and on both,
0: both records, so you know, it's right. like, I know, I can't complain at all. You know, and Jason Sukhoff's an awesome dude, he's totally, you know, he's a hilarious dude, just fun working <laughs> with him always. You know, I love that guy, right? On and, and and it's just the fact that you're playing terrorizer tunes, right? Like that album came out in 89, right? <laughs> like yeah. that is crazy, and the and, yeah. and and just to think that you're able to play with. The guy who's you know, like you said, after world obliteration and all, like all these these world downfall tunes, and you're you're making riffs with the guy that you know that made that album. Like that's that's fucking yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, Gene from Angel Corpse, He was like, man, you did whatever all of us wanted wanted to do. You, know, but <laughs> you did it. <laughs> oh, it's true though, because I mean, like everybody that talks about whether it's like, your favorite album in death metal or grindcore or whatever, and like, that world downfall is, like, number one amongst everybody across the board. Like, it doesn't matter. Right. So, like, that's cool, man. And so it obviously
1: feels... Cool. It obviously a drummer. drummer, you know, a lot of guitar players are probably jealous of the fact that the drummer... <laughs> What's this drummer doing over here playing guitar? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I should have that gig, you know? Yeah, right, totally.
0: But it's fucking Pete Sandoma,
1: like, just leave it alone. <laughs> that's crazy, that's cool. It, work. it works, too, because we're both drummers, we speak the same language, you know, I know what he's doing, I know, you know, he. we relate like that, because I can, you know, like, hey, man,
2: you're, I can see whatever's happening, or whatever's not happening, or whatever it is, and tell him, or, you know, he can talk to me and say, hey, no, you're not we're not locking, you know what I mean it's totally like, as a drummer as drummers
1: we, we click like that you know because we understand what, where the time is we both understand timing in a way that guitar players don't you know?
0: yep no totally totally so I'm assuming Terrorizer is just going to keep going
1: yeah I mean uh, let's see what happens with this virus you know I don't know what's going on uh, we have, We actually uh, there's still a. Like, I don't know, is it five or six songs that were from that session that haven't been released? I don't know if anything's going to ever happen with those, so we got that in the can. And they are kind of some of, like, a couple of them. There's, there's some straight-up songs, but then there's some of the more experimental stuff. was like, basically we recorded a bunch of extra songs and picked the bad, 10 best, you know, kind of was the thinking 14 best is what it ended up being. But. Kind of picked, the, you know, the cream of the crop, and then... Uh, you know, like some of the more, like we have one song called Torture that's like, it's kind of, has that where the slime lives feel to it, you know what I mean? Where it's like, not really terrorizer, but it's something, you know, that where it's Pete, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like that. Yeah. <laughs> kind of that, you know, it's his influences from Mormon Angel, you know? Yep. Like, So we felt that that didn't really, like, probably sit with, you know, the Terrorizer album, you know, we wanted to keep it, and if anything, I would, like, more focus, you know, kind of even go more grind for the next album, you know, just, like, instead of trying to, I kind of did the balance with Caustic Attack, where it was, like, you know, that, that old school, just straight up grind, World Downfall, and then, like, maybe song like Crisis, Be
0: picking in those some of those riffs in the in that album there for sure.
1: More, like it's that rapture drum beat, the triplet, you know, which Terrorizer never did the triplet blast beat. You know what I mean? Right. So that's kind of the more the morbid angel blast, the triplet blast, da da What did they? What kind of that thing. And so Crisis kinda of has some of that where it's like you know, my riffing for monstrosity with the tip the morbid angel triplet blast kind of thing. So yeah. You know, it's not
0: exactly terrorizer, you know, 100%, whatever. Uh, so, maybe with the next terrorizer, I would keep things maybe a little more, like, you know, focused on just being completely grindcore, like, right, you know, for that. Totally. Right on, right on. Um, well, um... Uh... I don't know, I guess we're going to kind of wrap this up. It's been like an hour and a half with you, man. This is fucking, this has been amazing, dude. Like, thank you very much. Uh, you got any last words to uh, let everybody know what's going on with uh, Mr. Lee Harrison? Um, new monstrosity, eventually. Uh, I got my solo project, my rock band, where I play all the instruments and sing. That's kind of like, do like a classic rock thing without... Uh, without the total glam, like, no glam stuff, but just the straight old-school rock, you know, 70s rock. Oh, uh, sweet. I fucking love 70s rock. Like, are we yeah. talking, Are we talking like, the proto-metal, like Sir Lord Baltimore and Blood Rock and all that kind of stuff?
1: It's the old stuff, you know, the straight-up guitar rock of, you know, the 70s. Cool, um, cool. Kind of more of that influence, and then... Uh, um, I'm planning on releasing like the project I did with uh, Crimson Glory singer Midnight. Oh. I don't know if you know about that, but uh, before he died, you know, unfortunately he passed away. But if you ever heard the Crimson Glory stuff, it's like power metal, but like with really like kind of like killer Jeff Tate type singing, just really like operatic and
2: whatever. And uh, I worked with him before he died. It was kind of more of a folk album to be honest, but it was a case of where like I was like
1: we released a bunch of stuff where I was like the band on certain songs. Like I'd be the, you know, play the bass drums, keys, guitar, everything, you know, and then he would sing on top of it. Wow. And then a different song, a guy named Matt LaPorte, who was plays with John Oliva from sabotage. He died too, unfortunately, mm. long story. Um, but he, you know, certain songs he would do the backing band and things like that. Or certain stuff It was just a total collaboration. And, uh, there was another guy, Phil, involved. He had a hammered dulcimer. I don't know if you know what that is, but yeah. it's like basically uh, playing strings with a like a little hammer. Yeah, you know, totally. Stuff. And that was really you know it's just totally left field for what I do in Monstrosity. You know? Wow. And, uh, that's a cool project if you ever get a chance to check out. So we can hey, find I'm we sure
0: can there. find links to all this, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's all on like the Conquest Music website. You can see that yeah. stuff. Cool. Yeah. Basically, we did a bunch of covers and stuff, and, like, basically, I got a whole discography out of the guy before he passed away. Like, he, he was, a he was you know, he was a big drinker and stuff, and so I, he kind of, I won't say he knew he was going to, you know, pass away, but he definitely, like, planned for it, let's put it that way, and so we ended up getting a big, you know, record of just a bunch of stuff, like a whole discography out of the guy before he passed away, and... We released the three cd set of his original music already we did that in 2014. wow and uh, i have a covers album that i'm going to release next i think that's the plan so, wow. uh you know it's just honor. the guy was a phenomenal i mean phenomenal singer back in the day like the late 80s if you ever heard transcendence from crimson glory i mean that's like real like next level vocals you know but uh Anyway, long story longer, I got that stuff coming out right on. and I got some other projects. I'm working on, uh, work with another
0: singer and, uh, we're going to do some of that, uh, work with a keyboard guy. Um, he's called black rifle coalition and uh, we did a, went down to Fort Lauderdale and went to Bon Jovi's brother's studio and did a cure cover <laughs> in there. Not cool. Wondering what's what so, what, yeah. what what cure song what cure song it's
1: called burn it's from the crow soundtrack oh okay yeah 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 and uh i'm not a huge cure fan i got a buddy who loves loves him and i listen to him. i hear him all the time just because he's always playing them. but uh it was just something fun to do and uh you know He's got a little project that he wants to do, and so we, we work on that on the side, and another guy named Spirit that I'm working with, uh, he's a vocalist, and uh, do a little project with him, and uh, plus my little poison project, plus the monstrosity, plus the terrorizer, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it goes on and on and on. Yeah,
0: man, well that's good that you're busy though, it has been it's just because you love music.
1: Yeah, definitely
0: uh, Yeah. I'm a man. <laughs> Damn straight, man. Honestly, like I remember, you know, going back to the, you know, the early days when I first heard, you know, Ozzy, Iron Maiden, all that kind of shit. And there was something that just like, like, like it bites you and you can't shake it. And then when I realized that, you know, wow, I could actually play guitar myself or bass or... You know, start getting involved somehow. That it just it just got even worse, <laughs> and then it just steamrolled after that. And what thirty some odd years later now, uh, we're still trying to do shit. Still, I'm still making some music here and there. We're making videos. We're doing all kinds of stuff, right? Like you just you can't stop. Right. Got
1: the Jordy Brothers project too, the uh, the Vituary Boys. Um, Ooh. That, that was 2012. Um, I was jamming guitar with, you know, it's their side band the Obituary guys. Oh and, uh, yeah, what was what is that? Oh, that's right. It's called the Tony Brothers, and uh, they did an album, and I learned all those songs and we, we was going over there and jamming with them, and I ended up playing guitar at Obituary for a minute. Um, we did some South American shows. I was second guitarist for Obituary. And then, like last year, I, I filled in for Donald on drums, so it was like I, I can claim that I played it guitar and drums in a band. So that's, that's definitely fun and cool. Uh, but hopefully, you know, I'd like, you know, hopefully, eventually, once this virus thing clears over, and Obituary's been busy, and they're off doing their thing, and, and they're doing, they're real successful right now, so they don't have time for the side bands, you know, but. Uh, Eventually, you know, hopefully we you know, I definitely would like to record something with them before it's all over with, you know, those guys are awesome, I love those guys and it's just you know, it doesn't have to be obituary, you know, or you know, it could be their side band, it doesn't even have to be anything. I just want to record with them at some point doing something just because they're cool bros. Totally, right on. Right on. Yeah, that's that's another project
2: on the on the list, you
1: know.
0: <laughs> well you can never have enough though, that's the thing, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's cool, just work, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, like, I, I saw it, you know, years in advance, you know, like, even though it was so far off and far removed, you know what I mean, like, you know, just kind of like, it's one of those things where dreams come true, you know, same with terrorizer, you know, it's like one of those things where like, you could kind of see it in the, you know, in, in a certain reality, and sure enough, it came to pass, you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, totally.
0: Well, you yeah. just get, you get that stomach that yeah. gut feeling, right? And you're like, yeah. okay, all right, I'm excited here. This is good. <laughs> yeah, you know, getting to work with people that you admire, you know, working with Midnight from Crimson Glory, working with the obituary guys, working with Pete from Terrorizer, Morgan Angel, you know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Fucking
1: right. But, you know, the stuff you got to make happen. It doesn't happen on its own, you know. You just, it's, you know, you got to take a chance sometime. And-
0: well, you Step live in you live in a good area too, where they all live, though.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're I... my buddies. They're my bros. So.
0: Totally. Well, yeah. I mean, you've grown up in the whole scene, anyway, So you kind of just everybody just.
1: Morenstown, you know, Morenstown was that home base. You know? everybody was going to How having that studio there really looks. You know, those guys were awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, have, just everybody
0: there, kind of, brought it brought out the music, you know. Unbelievable. Well, like you said, it, it's a hub, so everybody got excited at the same time, and then you just started getting everybody coming in going, oh, yeah, that's right, you did that, yeah, that's right, you did that. Oh, man, we're all doing the same thing now, and we're all working at the same studio, and and then everybody, like you said, just become friends, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Unbelievable. Well, thank you very much, Lee, for uh, for hanging out for, mm-hmm. uh, for the part two here, because uh, we just had to finish our conversations. And, uh, yeah, kudos to you, and hope you you stay safe, and uh, everybody's good down there.
1: Tell me a little bit before we go, tell me about this movie, or what's the story with that? Oh, the growl.
0: Okay, well, uh, we started this about, I'm going to say about three years ago now. Uh, I approached, uh, I, I go to a lot of horror conventions, and I just deal with the horror community. So I have a few friends in distribution companies. So, um, going to one of the shows, one of my friends working one of the booths, I'm like, you know, I see the Valken Festival, I see, uh, uh, Thor, if you remember Thor from back in the day too, right? So, uh, so this company was dealing with the distribution of some of these, uh, documentaries, so I'm like, you know, uh, our friend, uh, Doug Brown, who did the, um, uh, Slave to the Grind, the, the Grindcore one that just came out, uh, I'm asking my buddy, and I'm like, so how come nobody's doing a death metal documentary? Isn't anybody approaching you about doing a death metal documentary? And he's he's pretty much like, nope, nobody said a word. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to stamp it right now, and let's try to work something out so that when we finish it, that hopefully we can, you know, work something out at the end because, unfortunately, nobody gives, nobody gives advances anymore. It's usually when you're done, so you put all the work in first, right? So... That's why it's kind of taken us a little bit longer, I guess. I mean, about three years or so. Uh, But I'm hoping that by the end of at least September, uh, we're going to hit the um, Quebec Death Fest, and we're going to sit down with like Cam Lee and a few others that are coming up. So hopefully we can kind of settle ourselves by then and then just get into the editing of it all. But... uh, Pretty much the documentary, just kind of want to. I kind of want to just do the, you know, the history, I guess, but um, really get the stories from. Because we've sat down with Tom G. Warrior, we sat down with Jeff Becerra, and, uh, you know, the guys from Morbid Saint, and we're going to sit down with Cam Lee, and just try to get, you know, where the origins are of this growl, and then the blast beats, and all this kind of stuff, but go through. Uh, The fanzines and the tape trading and everything like that, that kind of kept it going even during the 90s when, like you said, death metal was doing nothing because, unfortunately, alternative and new metal and everything was the the cool thing to do at the time. But in the background, you know, shit was still going down and you guys were still putting out albums and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of want to hit, like, those angles also and just show everybody that... Death Metal never left, just because uh, Ace Ventura brought Cannibal Corpse uh, doesn't mean that was like the be-all, end-all. There was a lot of shit going on in the background, and myself being involved in editorial work and all this kind of stuff. Get down to the bottom of things and hang out with you guys and just try to figure out some stories, so... That's pretty much that's pretty much it, man. And and, and just show the true stories, right? I, like, you know, we all know about deicide and obituary and all these other stuff, but what about, like, those cool stories in the background that was going on when, you know, death metal was at its peak and then it was at its lowest and then it came back and then it was at its lowest and that kind of stuff. So I kind of want to try to get some different angles. And like I said, hopefully by September... We can finish filming and start editing. Excellent man. All right, man. Cool. So, well, don't forget the story, man. Oh, damn straight, man. Fucking monstrosity is a huge part of this, man. It's this fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh yeah, bro. All right. Well, we'll, no we'll check. soon, man. Yeah, dude. Take it easy, bro. You good? Ciao. <laughs> oh man. Well, wasn't that a fucking awesome uh, interview there, Mr. Lee Harrison, there of Monstrosity, Terrorizer, and every other project? Uh, well, I think it's time to uh, end this stream here because uh, it's my it's my beautiful lady's birthday. Happy fortieth! Happy fortieth! I don't know. Thank you, everybody. So tune in tomorrow <clears throat> when we talk to Chris Lytle of Insatinity and see what's going on with those guys because there's some new announcements going on. And, yeah, we just need to sit down and uh, chat with, the, with with Mr. Chris because Insatinity has been around for quite a while too, since the 90s. So, just try to get all aspects, right? Like, I mean, there's just, there's so much happened within the scene. And, you know, everybody knows about the big bands, but what about the second tier bands and all that kind of stuff, right? And that's where kind of my, that's where my hangouts were a lot too, because I'd like to, I've always, I've always been a fan of just not being in contact with everybody, but at least, you know, writing a letter and getting a letter back kind of thing, right? and it just, it's just, I fucking love, I just love the sea, man, and I love everybody here, so everybody stay safe, and we'll see you tomorrow, and we appreciate you, uh, you hanging out, everybody.